0: This is a true podcast. The events depicted took place in Milwaukee, Wisconsin in 2024. At the request of the producers, the names have been changed. Out of respect for the listeners, the rest has been told exactly as it occurred.
1: Hey there, I uh, hope, hope I'm not bothering you, but uh, eh, I don't want to become come off as cross, but we're about to start State of the Franchise, uh, and, uh, you know, we cover franchises of all shapes and sizes, just so you know, and, you know, I don't want you to think that I'm being rude or anything, but I just want you to know that we're covering the Fargo, Now I don't want you to jump the gun here, not the movie, but the TV series, my name is Fred, I'm here with Ta. Stadler, how you doing today, Tom?
0: Oh, doing just fine there, Fred. Well, thanks for so much for uh introducing this episode, you know.
1: Oh, you know, geez, it was no problem, you know. I, I, I had to take time out of my schedule, but you know, I had the room, you know. I, I was willing to do it.
0: Well, that's wonderful. I gosh, that just really brings the, the cheer to my, my lips here. You know, I'm 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 feeling like I'm smiling right now, and you can probably see that I'm smiling, as a matter of fact.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Even though I'm looking at you through a computer screen, I'm seeing I'm seeing those barley whites coming in just <laughs> just so clear right now.
0: This is easier for you, I feel. <laughs> what? Well, because I think the Fargo accent is not that great of a stone throw away from like what a Wisconsin accent is. So, I've heard people my whole life, and I think I have a very subtle wisconsin accent when i really get into it
1: Uh, yeah
0: like if i weren't trying to put on like the whole like like shmeal right now i'd be talking a little more like this like just having a good time (laughs) it's uh i'm curious though fred since we are talking about fargo today did you see the movie before you moved up to wisconsin
1: Oh, definitely. I got this. uh, Fargo was recommended to me by my 10th grade teacher. And I had never heard of it. I had never heard of the Coen brothers, but I was going through my Tarantino phase and she recommended Fargo. I remember she was the one I let her borrow like my Dogma DVD. So she was a very (laughs) cool teacher.
0: That's uh, awesome. That
1: was the first time I saw it it's probably in my top five, guaranteed my top 10 movies for sure. Wow. It's probably well, my favorite right. Coen Brothers movie. <laughs>
0: I mean, it's definitely an easy one to like. So before you moved here, then, did you think everybody in the Midwest just talked like this or in the north? I should say? I
1: still do, man. I still hear it. I still hear it every time. <laughs> like sometimes I just like I don't pay attention to it because what was funny when I lived in Wisconsin for like a year, I went back to Georgia and they all thought I sounded like a Midwestern. And what? then like it doesn't happen as much anymore. But people in. Wisconsin always thought I sounded really Georgia, like, like Southern. And it, does, it comes out every once in a while. I feel like maybe if a couple drinks are involved or something, or I like to say y'all, that's fun. But uh, no, uh, I, I I definitely think I still hear it, but it's, it is different. There's definitely one, now that I've lived in the Midwest for the majority of my life, I know that there's different subsets of this uh, Midwestern, this... Uh, I'll do, even though they just call it Minnesota nice. I'll call it Midwestern nice.
0: <laughs> well, it's kind of a a fun little uh thing that I think everybody has a different perspective on because I have heard people call it Minnesota nice. I've heard people call it Midwest nice. I've heard the term Iowa nice <laughs> from people. It all depends where they come from. If they're in, you know, grew up in Iowa, if they grew up in Minnesota, or and I don't even know. I think there's some debate whether like the Dakotas are really the Midwest and the show would definitely have you believe that, but they're kind of more, I don't know. It's right on that border of Midwest and Pacific Northwest. So it's like you get a lot of Wyoming in there is what I feel like.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, Dakota, it just sounds nice when you say it in the Midwest accent. So it works.
0: <laughs> Dakota. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh I don't know. It's funny. It, it, it's just the the thing that I think always cracked me up about the movie Fargo is that a lot of people who were watching it for the first time in like the '90s or whatever were like, "Well, this is a comedy," and other people, are, if you talk to people in the Midwest, are like, "Well, this is just straight up a drama." Like, I don't know what's <laughs> what's so funny about this movie. It's like because people from that have, speak like this don't really hear the accent. And it's already slipping through. It's going to happen a lot of times here, Fred, in this episode. It's hard like, not to, you know. It's hard. Uh. No, yeah. No, yeah. No, <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, but that's funny to think about that. People just watch it here and they're like, yeah, this is just a normal set of circumstances that are horrible. That's true. But uh, there's nothing funny about it.
0: No, no, nothing. Fun- I don't know what you guys are laughing about. Oh, because everybody talks a little funny up here. Is that is that what you're... That's a little rude, a little rude, mm-hmm. if I must say so myself.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. And that's what the movie definitely plays in is kind of like this stark niceness and then this like darkness. And I think that's part of why it's so successful and why they might want to make, you know, a TV series based off of it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, the TV series, I think you can outright call a, a dark comedy or a black comedy if you want to. I don't know. It's just interesting because I think it does one of the better jobs, the TV show, especially of balancing comedy and like kind of like intense drama, because there are moments where you are laughing at the circumstances and the ridiculous characters. And then there are moments where you're just like, okay, this is, this person is terrifying. And if I ever encountered them in my life, I feel like I would be, not alive for much longer and <laughs> <laughs> definitely
1: there's this it's definitely uh that feeling well that's the whole thing people say like being afraid and laughing is the same you know it's like the same effect in movies so with that show i think or even just the movie itself they are just kind of doing that fine line between humor and horror even though more like suspense i guess you know
0: yeah for sure Well, I mean, you know, I I think the way we originally positioned this episode, Fred, was going to be around the show. But my understanding is they all live in the same universe. I think we could talk a little more about the movie if we want to spend some time on it.
1: Yeah, definitely. Like, I know the first season, like, ties it directly in there with, like, the Oliver Platt storyline. He's Mm -hmm. the one that finds the money that the whole movie, the first movie is kind of centered around. Right. Yeah, the buried the buried money in the snow. And I didn't realize also, I know it's like we're talking same world, but like just connections. I was rewatching some of season two and I didn't realize like the the, you know, grandpa or the dad from the original Fargo is like the guy who died, like the boss, mob boss that dies in the beginning of season two. It's like the same actor.
0: (laughs) Oh, wow. I did not realize that that's pretty Mm -hmm. crazy (laughs) i guess the world is just as smaller or or large i guess in this case as we would say even though fargo feels like such a small town (laughs) but Mm -hmm. the, the the world building is so big and yeah i think i don't know that i came across fargo i mean i knew of the movie for a long time i remember my parents renting it back when it came out back in like 95 96 and I nev- wasn't allowed to watch it that was one they definitely were like uh-uh this is not for kids even though I caught a glimpse of like the scene with Buscemi going into the the wood chipper and
1: that oh, was geez. a little
0: disturbing <laughs> it was one of those jobs where like in order to get to the kitchen you had to go past the living room so I would constantly like keep going back for like snacks and like catch a peek at what was going on on the TV <laughs> and I just remember at that part I was like oh The nine-year-old me was just like no (laughs) that'd be the moment to see it (laughs) oh man yeah brutal but i finally got to catch the movie i think in full finally within the last yeah maybe even like five years ago or 10 years ago somewhere in that range it was not long ago that i finally watched it and i think it was right around the time that i became aware of the tv show so it's definitely all kind of mixed in for me it's not really a whole separate entity of like going from the movie and then 10 years or 15 years later the show gets announced I guess it'd be 20 years at this rate but we can kind of get into that
1: oh wow yeah for me it was like I remember the show being announced and Fargo was big and there was like stink on the show because everyone was like that sounds awful Why would you do that? The Cohen brothers have nothing to do with it. No one wants to, no one's interested in this. And they dropped the first two episodes. And after watching them, I was like, oh man, this is how adaptions of all sorts should
0: be. Yeah. Just taking like the idea of the story and kind of like. Finding something similar to say and that's that's the magic trick that I think this entire show has accomplished is how do you find a similar pattern or theme and make something out of it and, or kind of make it feel like it's part of the same world because there always are these strange circumstances where you, th- you get somebody who thinks they can commit a crime and get away with it and nobody mm-hmm. ever does. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and I gotta say, this is kind of a genre of movie, genre of story that I find so cozy. Winter Crime, mm. I just love it. Like I don't know if you've ever seen a simple plan. Uh that's like the Sam Raimi movie.
0: I have not, but I'm familiar with the band. <laughs> it's I'm very a dick. similar. I'm addicted to you.
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs) You you, got to watch A Simple Plan directed by Sam Raimi. It's got uh, Bill Paxton and Billy Bob Thornton and probably his best role, question mark. And it's just one of those like finding a pile of money and like, oh, I can totally keep this and there won't be any repercussions and this won't tear at the fabric of my life type of movies, but set in snow. That's just like, I love that. I love the movie, The Ice Harvest, the John Cusack, uh, Hateful Eight, a movie we've talked about on this podcast. Not my favorite movie, but if it's snowing outside like it is right now, I'm kind of in the mood to throw on a little snowy crime.
0: Loving that, that that feeling of just being cozy up by the fireplace and uh, having that snowfall outside and watching people try to get away with crimes.
1: Exactly, (laughs) just like, you know... Stirring stuff up. Heel turns. I love it.
0: Yeah. Well, I was going to say before, maybe Billy, Bo- Billy Bob's best role up until Fargo season one, because
1: it is good. I like it because he kind of just feels like it feels dumb to say a Coen Brothers character, but he does <laughs> like he just feels like kind of like the amalgam of what I think Fargo is in a character, but also like a demon.
0: Yeah. Well, let's dive a little bit into the, the history and some of the uh, the highlights that came along the way with Fargo. So for anyone who's not familiar with the movie, it's about a sheriff whose name is Marge Gunderson. Uh, Marge Gunderson, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I got to say it in a way that everyone wrote it. Margie. <laughs> uh, who's played by Frances McDormand, and she is a pregnant Minnesota police chief investigating a triple homicide that takes place after... A desperate car salesman played by William H. Macy hires two criminals uh to kidnap his wife in order to extort a ransom from her wealthy father. I mean, so right there in the description, I think as we were just talking about before, this is kind of like what all of Fargo is. It's like these like weird plans that if anybody ever tried to explain them to you, they're like, you're never gonna get away with that.
1: Mm-hmm. But
0: yet you get these desperate kind of not super intelligent people that try to execute this stuff. And it just creates a chain of events that drags everybody within the circumference of it into this <laughs> void.
1: Yeah. And that's what the show captures from the movie as well as this. um I don't know how best to describe other than kind of operatic tone with the comedy and the, like The opening credits of Fargo has this great score and it builds and it's very kind of showy and it's filmmaking while the rest of the movie is kind of like, oh, here's some people talking, you know, down home. But there is some really unique flourishes and the show definitely capitalizes on that. I'd say they even build upon that. They go kind of very flourishy, you know. They make some choices.
0: They definitely do. I think it's definitely... A a story that's yeah it's stylish it's got that Cohen Brothers kind of look to it it's got that that sound because they're always like looking for like these these scores that kind of like are unsettling in a way so that you sort of remember them I don't know I don't know how to describe it but I think of like even like No Country for Old Men there's something about the the way that movie looks and sounds that you just are like you're you're intrigued but you're never comfortable
1: right something that was going on at this time that people were mirroring that this movie mirrors or does the same, but differently that was hot at the time is that, uh, kinetic, uh, quick dialogue that the movie almost feels like it's doing a Tarantino thing, but it's not, it's just similar. And because it's similar, I think it, it just is hitting at the time, like in pop culture, like the dialogue simmers in this movie. And that's another thing they pick up from the show is kind of unique, very Tarantino dialogue.
0: Yeah. And that's definitely a good way of putting it, that it's got a rhythm. And, and I think a lot of Coen Brotherhood movies do even have that. Like it's almost become a staple of them that, there's, there. You can tell that people are just like they're on script. They have it down and they're just kind of rattling through their lines like they know exactly what they're saying. But like there is I think it's just because sometimes the accents, too, in this that it just makes it feel like you are talking to your neighbor in Milwaukee versus, like you know, uh, some guy you would live in like a flat in New York. You know, there's just it's a little more a little more simple for him to kind of be coming up and talking about that. You know what people think about these things, right? <laughs> Mm -hmm. yeah and
1: i just love that there's so many characters that just have that like broad midwestern vibe to them in the movie in the tv series like i i don't know i don't know if i necessarily just find it comforting or if i it's hard to say that i think it feels like real life because it doesn't it's definitely heightened but there is something real about it
0: there is yeah Uh, And I mean, I don't know that anybody embodied that better than William H. Macy in the movie. And there was a story he told where he was like auditioning somewhere else. And he heard that they were going to do more auditions in New York. And so he got in an airplane and went to to New York and went to the audition again and said, I want to read this again because I'm scared you're going to screw this up and hire someone else. (laughs) And they (laughs) uh, and I guess they were like, yeah, he was just he's like he was so insistent that this was his role. That they were just like, yeah, we. He was absolutely right. We were we were not quite sure, but then when he came back, we were like, yep, this is the right guy.
1: Yeah, and he's uh, coming to Milwaukee to show the movie. I think in January, February.
0: Is that right, Macy?
1: Yeah, Macy's doing a Q and A with Fargo.
0: Oh my gosh, that's awesome! Is he? He's a Wisconsin guy, isn't he?
1: I would think he's Midwest of some sort because he's just too. He's just too darn
0: good. Yeah. Oh, nope, Uh, nope, Uh, nope, nope, nope. He is uh, from the fine Midwest town of Miami, Florida.
1: (laughs) (laughs) What? (laughs) What?
0: Uh, Yeah, so he was born in Miami, grew up in Georgia and Maryland. But gosh, he does a good Midwest uh, accent.
1: I don't know if he's an undersung actor because he did get... Kind of a great run on that Shameless show, which is a show I've watched most of and liked. But he's just a very consistent guy to have in your
0: movie or TV show. Oh, yeah. Well, you're never going to get a a shortened or a shortcut performance from him. He's going to put it all into whatever you ask him to do.
1: Mm-hmm. I'm, I always yeah. recommend if people have ever seen the the cooler, the movie where he plays... He apparently this is a thing in real life at uh casinos they have a guy that walks around and he's just bad vibes and that's his job is that he's just like a schlubby bad vibe guy so if someone's doing really well on a roll at a table they send in fucking William H. Macy all schlubby to like eh, I don't know I guess I'll play this card and it messes up the whole game and <laughs> it's kind of a great movie Alec Baldwin's like the casino boss and it's, it's a good one
0: <laughs> that's amazing i have not heard of that but now i definitely want to watch i just love william h macy there's really nothing that he's been bad and i feel like and to your exact point there it sounds like a perfect role for him
1: mm-hmm.
0: so the movie fargo was filmed during the winter of 1995 which uh occurred mainly in the minneapolis saint paul area uh, and around pembina county in north dakota but i guess they actually had low snowfall totals in minnesota that winter so they had to be they had to go to northern minnesota and northeastern north dakota in order to get like shots of people in the snow because there just was nothing in the, the twin cities that year
1: yeah they were chasing the snow around to get footage and i know that they ended up pretty close to where they were shooting mall rats at the time.
0: Oh, is that right? Kind
1: of like a no country for old men, there will be blood situation.
0: You know oh, about that? that? <laughs> no, I don't. Did those movies Those shoot, movies like- came
1: out the same year and they're uh shot at the same time and apparently like I know there's like a Josh Brolin interview where like uh Daniel Day-Lewis came rolling by on a bicycle and was just like, get out of the road and <laughs> like doing like the Daniel Plainfield voice.
0: <laughs> wow. That's kind of like the perfect, like, <laughs> I don't know. Those movies look and feel like kind of similar. Just the only thing that's off is the time periods, right? So does Fargo and Mallrats. Yeah well yeah i guess there is a, a very light dna share between them but um the movie so it had that discrepancy stating like this is a true story which i opened the podcast with and the cold open and there's been a lot of debate over the years whether this was actually based on a real event or not because i think the widely accepted thing is that there is like Brief inspiration from a Somewhat similar story But like nothing else Is is the similar it's pretty much an original Screenplay
1: (laughs) Yeah I'm sure it's kind of like It was probably Like a Florida man headline at the time At best you know what I'm saying Like it was it was probably a thing But not the thing
0: yeah and I Think that's exactly what it was like they heard About a story about Man sets up a kidnapping Of wife and to try and extort and like then she gets caught. Like they probably read something like that. Like, that's a crazy story. We could write a whole script around that concept. You know, it's like people trying to write a movie about Pirates of the Caribbean, right? It's like you could probably <laughs> you get a general sense <laughs> for what it is. <laughs> so the movie was nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Original Screenplay, which it won, and then Francis McDormand won for best actress. Uh Macy did not win for best supporting actor, but Man, she's great in this too. I also love John Carroll Lynch.
1: And uh he's oh, the yeah, husband. He the yeah. Yeah, he's Is always he just, good. Just he's kind of a William H. Macy type, just a solid heavy hitter that's going to be in your movie.
0: Again, another guy who he'll never short you on what you want him to do. He'll just kind of sit there. It's like, "Okay, we just need you to be a doting husband and get up with her in the morning to make breakfast and it's just perfect. Mm-hmm. I always remember him as Drew Carey's brother, though, too, in the Drew Carey show. <laughs> Man, they need to do
1: something about that Drew Carey show. I don't know why that's not on HBO or something. You can't get it anywhere. That was like my favorite show, and I I didn't know that he played his brother. That makes it even worse because I, I always love him in Zodiac because he's just like he he does the fargo thing but creepy pretty much (laughs) like oh yeah if you're curious about those knives i had killed a chicken earlier for my dinner (laughs) you know he's just like a creep
0: (laughs) he is yeah man he's great in zodiac but yeah i mean he keeps showing up in a lot of stuff and he's just one of those people where when you see him come on screen you're like oh yes like okay I'm well taken care of because I know this person's going to make a character that probably was very like shallowly written in the script, come to life. Like he's just going to just bring something extra to it.
1: Yep. And if you don't know who we're talking about, if you type in John Carroll Lynch into Google, you're going to be like, Oh, that guy,
0: (laughs) that guy. Yeah. I mean, and we can't overlook, I think Steve Buscemi and Peter, Stormer, yeah because I think we can't really get into talking about the show without mentioning the two criminals that get hired because they kind of become I think them and Macy and Francis McDormand are all kind of the archetypes of all the characters we continue to see for every season you have kind of like the Oshucks cop who turns out to be very competent you have the the kind of imbecile like regular Joe who just tries to commit the most devious act of his life. And then you have like sort of like a cocky big mouth criminal, but you also have like that silent, really cold, like serious guy who is willing to kind of do whatever needs to be done. And you could really cast, I think one person per season of Fargo into each one of those character archetypes. Definitely. And I think that gives us a chance to even talk about Season 1 of Fargo, unless you have more you would like to share on just the movie.
1: No, I think it's best to get into it.
0: Great. So Fargo starts with Season 1, which takes place in 2006, but it was actually in the year 2012 in real life that uh, FX announced that with the Coen brothers on as executive producers, that they were developing a new television series based on the film, with noah hawley as the show creator and uh it was later announced that the adaptation would be a 10 episode limited series which is kind of interesting to read back on now because it obviously was not going to be just a limited series in the long run well
1: i'm curious if that was the case because i could totally see the idea of season one being a one-off i'm glad it wasn't because i think they definitely have uh I think we can both say we really like these the series. I think they do a good job with Fargo and bringing it back. And I love they make big swings, but I could see if they just came out with season one and didn't do anything else that it was a closed thing.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, it would not be the first show to be based on an adapted property that had something to say. And then like Watchmen came out in 2019, very much an adaptation and a continuation of the graphic novel slash the movie but they had no plans for season two and it's very unlikely it's ever going to happen like it's the perfect example of like here's a limited series but again kind of to what we've set up here with the the, the dressing for the show is that they have found a way to go beyond just like oh we have a limited series it's kind of similar to the movie but just different enough and we're gonna leave it at that like they've kind of found a a core concept and sort of these core pieces of the story that they can keep replicating in different locations and with different people and different time frames and all of that.
1: Yeah. And I think that's the most exciting thing about Fargo to me as a television show, not just the movie, is that they are doing reboot prequel. I'm using broad terms. Because they do work in the same world, but they also kind of do their own thing. They are rebooting, they are recooling, they are prequeling, they are sequeling. But this is how you do it. You do new stories like and in a world where we're getting so many sequels and so many of these prequel sequel things. I kind of find whether or not you think the Fargo seasons individually are successful. I think they're doing the best stuff with material that already exists.
0: Oh, absolutely. And, yeah, I think it's it's an interesting thing you just kind of said there because I think it, it is, it's a shared universe that's built like an anthology is kind of how the show is. And it's weird to pull that together because I don't think anything else does that. Like, you'll have anthology series like, oh... I don't know. What about the American horror stories? That's probably the other thing that's done this to a much less successful extent. <laughs> mm-hmm. Cause I think those shows are connected, right? Like there's always kind of the same seed of like, Oh, it's the same world, but here's new Orleans versus. Yep. And
1: know. the anthology series did build upon like the original series and stuff.
0: Uh, okay. But yeah, I think, it's doing it extremely well in the case of Fargo and it's yeah, it, everything feels the same, but it is different. Even if there are characters who we are seeing different age versions of, like in the case of seasons one and two with, uh, uh I think it's Molly Salverson or yeah, Salverson. Salverson. Yep. Her dad is in season one, but that, that gets us into, I think, the plot of season one. So filming began on the first season in Calgary, Alberta, Canada in late 2013, concluded in 2014. So the show premiered on April 15th, 2014 and concluded its initial airing that June. So it was a very quick run, these 10 episodes that they did, but uh, hit pretty hard. I think a lot of critics really liked it. So the... The story is it revolves around Lauren Malvo, who's played by Billy Bob Thornton. He comes through Bemidji, Minnesota and kind of influences the community a little bit because he meets uh, an insurance salesman named Lester Nygaard. And uh, (laughs) he is just kind of like, I don't know, at the kind of the bottom of for his life. He's just sort of hit like rock bottom, I think, mentally and like emotionally until he kind of meets this guy and then suddenly he kind of gets fed up with life, murders his wife in his basement. And the only person he can think is to call this dude who is just completely unhinged and it kind of gets them tied up together into this whole little situation. And this investigation of this murder or the don't they, they kind of like sell it as an accidental death to the cops. Yes. Yeah. So that involves Molly Salverson, and then she gets mixed up with a guy who, uh, another police officer in Duluth, Minnesota, who's played by Colin Hanks named Gus Grimley, and they kind of team up to try and solve this series of murders that they believe might be linked to both Malvo and Nygaard, and it kind of sets off just this crazy chain of events where anybody, again, who gets caught into their their pool, so to speak, they just... <laughs> end up in bad bad spaces here.
1: This was huge uh because this was the first one that came out that was kind of reformatting the Fargo story and did it really successful. Like I remember watching like I said they dropped the first two episodes and I went in kind of like with my arms folded like this is going to be some this is going to be bad. And I remember watching the first two episodes, like, oh, this, ha- this, this has the gas, this has the juice, and <laughs> Billy Bob Thornton, who you know is a collaborator with the Coen Brothers, so it's kind of like a seal of approval almost that he's in that first season. Um, and also something that was kind of cool about that first season had Key and Peel in it for an episode.
0: That's right. Dude.
1: And like, I mean, Key and Peele are still a big deal. I think most people more now know Jordan Peele's, you know, the filmmaker. But mm-hmm. that it was just of that time where Key and Peele was a big show on FX, I'm pretty sure. No, it was Comedy Central. I think it moved to FX eventually.
0: Yeah, I think he might be right on that front.
1: But uh, it was it was definitely in the zeitgeist. It was bringing stuff in like Key and Peele and... I don't remember hearing anything bad about season one. I think when season two came out, I think that's when some of the Noah Holly weirdness of the show started kind of turning people away a little bit. But I think season one is kind of tight and unassailable almost.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think even today and I at the time of recording, we're not quite done with season five. We'll we'll stay tuned and talk a little more about that, but I think even now, most people will still probably say season one is the best of the series, still. I say that, but it's not my favorite. Mm. So it's like, it's like The Empire Strikes Back, like the probably the best movie, but you might love like a new hope or something. Yeah. Like a I, that.
1: I am the person who I think empire is the best and is my favorite. But if I was one of those, like empire is the best, but I really love those Ewoks, man.
0: I am one of those people, Fred.
1: I figured you were.
0: <laughs> I love the Ewoks. Go watch a Jim Henson movie. Then I will, man. I will. Don't you even question it. I got Muppet. Treasure hey, no. Island in the queue.
1: Let's not get, <laughs> let's not get terse. <laughs>
0: I do love the way that season one flows. So when you started watching this, were you, you were watching this live or did you go back and find it years later?
1: No, I watched it. Like I said, I, I follow this from the inception of the announced a Fargo TV show. And I said, dumb, stupid. I know <laughs> movies. I am very smart. I am. When did this come out? 2012. I am 22 years old. You don't know shit. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and I was very wrong about this particular occasion. Um, but I watched I've seen season one, two, three, four, and five as they aired. Wow. I did not that, finish season four.
0: Yeah, we'll get to four. I I think unfortunately, kind of like you were saying earlier, too. Some of the big swings and they're commendable big swings. I think they are always trying to push the envelope and do something that makes it feel different. But season four was almost just a little too big of a swing outside of the lines of what we're familiar with.
1: But uh, season one's tight.
0: (laughs) It sets the tone really well, I think, as you, you said, too, is just what you're finding, again, is people who kind of fill those those archetypes you we were talking about before, like Billy Bob's character of Malvo is very much that Peter Stormare kind of character in the the movie Fargo. Like he's very cold. He's kind of calculating. He's not afraid to get his hands dirty. Like he makes a decision. He's going to go commit the kill without really thinking about it. Then you have Martin Freeman playing Lester Nygaard and he's a little more of that William H. Macy. Oh gosh, darn. He's like wheeze, you know, very Ashucks Shucks type guy who at the end of the day is a pretty horrible human being <laughs> deep down. Yeah. But, but if you met him, oh that yeah, couldn't be less or not, you're talking about the wrong guy. I picked on this guy forever. Man, and he even has this bully, right? Like come into the his his um like insurance office and just kind of like still is taking it years later.
1: <laughs> yep. That was the it was like the guy who like had relations with his girl his now wife, like did something with her in high school, and that's like the whole thing. Like, so they have this, you know, tension.
0: <laughs> yeah, right.
1: His bully is still going after him.
0: Yeah, after all these years. And I think, you know, for people who've ever been bullied, you you know that like even if you run into your bully years later, it's never it's never better. You're always mistrusting <laughs> of that person, but then you have, I, I and I think I said before. Oh, you know, there's only four archetypes, but I think as much as Molly Salverson is really much in in that Francis McDormand character mold from the movie, Colin Hanks is very much in that John Carroll Lynch mold too. He's a very like, even though he's a cop, he's like a nice guy, and all he wants to do is deliver mail, and like that's his life dream.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Yep, and he's yeah, he's he's got a little bit of William H. Macy because he did let Billy Bob Thornton go at that one point, and it was the wrong thing. But he, I think that's kind of the point of his character is kind of like the juxtaposition and the choice to do the right thing, which I think the show is very much the shows plural are very like morality based, like fables. Yeah,
0: they are a little bit because I think it kind of shows that like. They, they do a, such a great job of balancing. I think what you're saying is like the life lessons that you can learn of like, well, if you're a genuinely good person, like you don't have to be fake nice all the time. You know, it's like, you're going to good things are going to happen. But if you're really a selfish kind of terrible individual, like Martin Freeman's character was, it's like, yeah, bad things are going to end up coming back around to get you. And I mean, that whole season, he's really trying to just get away with, these crimes and it's just like one crime begets another and another and he's hiring these uh these guys to like help him like murder <laughs> you know other people and uh, it's it's pretty crazy i almost forgot that bob odenkirk was in the first season too it's kind i was of the, trying
1: to remember which season he was in but he's in the first i love it
0: yeah he's the he's another member of the uh, police department that works directly with molly but he's kind of a dope and he's just like very full of himself like come on that's not what happened we're what talking about <laughs> clearly it's exactly as the guy said for sure it's not my best odenkirk but it's i'll take it to it the toe. it was
1: cooking i liked it <laughs>
0: But yeah. Oh my God. And then Glenn Howerton. I forgot that he said it too.
1: I complete, I can't even remember that he's in season one. He's like the,
0: I, I think he's kind of like the simple, like guy. I think he's like always on like the exercise bike and something like too. like, I
1: do <sighs> Yeah. But that's the thing that they kind of do with that's kind of becoming a staple of the Fargo series is we're going to have some names tied to the show.
0: Yep, And everyone's going to be doing an accent. Yep, yep. And we're going to keep seeing what everybody's got. Yeah, because he ends up getting, like, caught up in it. Like, I think he kind of gets... Does he work for Oliver Platt? Is that what I'm trying to remember here I think
1: so. That sounds more familiar now.
0: Yeah, like, and then he thinks he's about to get away with, like, stealing his money. And he ends up getting killed for it because the police, like, come in, like, shooting. Because he's, like, tied to the bike and he can't get off of it. So they just start, they're like, come out with your hands up and he can't physically can't do it. And so they just kill him by shooting through the door.
1: (laughs) I can picture that. And I can just picture Glenn Howerton just really, really putting the syrup on the accent.
0: Oh, totally. Especially after seeing him in Blackberry, I could definitely like just kind of that subtle Canadian, like (laughs) definitely like a mix of that character and uh and his character of uh Dennis (laughs) (laughs) but yeah it's a it's a great first season there's a lot of twists and yeah I think we see kind of exactly what happens in the movie too the the fake nice guy ah, shucks guy kind of gets his comeuppance and ultimately the the sheriff and she gets her man and You know, all that ends well at the end. Billy Bob is kind of brought to justice and everything else kind of falls into place. But then we get to season two. So following a series renewal that happened about a month after the first season ended, so it was July 2014, Noah Hawley revealed that the second season would take place in 1979 and be focused on Sioux Falls, South Dakota, which was referred to by uh molly's dad lou salverson the character in the first season remembering like a crime that felt similar so we got this immediate tie-in and we did a flashback to season two or flashback yeah that became the plot of season two
1: yep season two is kind of a prequel to season one which is pretty cool they're tying things together and using a different uh Midwestern area.
0: What were your thoughts on season two then when you finally got to watch that as it came out, did you think you liked it better than the first one at first?
1: Like I said, I think season one is kind of the tightest, the best, but season two is him beginning to try things, uh, adding more style to it and broadening and adding more characters. And I think it's pretty successful. I think there's great tension uh, you have Kirsten Dunst and Jesse Plemons. I don't know if this is. I think this might have been the start of their relationship. I might have been. I think it was set yep. Fargo season two. You also have my guy, one of the the last old school Hollywood actors, Patrick Wilson, just like serving <laughs> just Midwest on a plate. Yep. And um, Z- oh, what's his name? Zon um, McLaren. That's his name. That's kind of like the first time I was introduced to him. And uh, I I just think this this season is electric. It's kind of more out there. It's definitely not as tight as season one, but I love it.
0: Yeah, he uh, my goodness. I mean, the names kind of go deep again in this season. I think that's, again, the thing that they do so well. I mean, there's bit parts from Ted Danson kind of in just a bit role. Ted Danson
1: is so good in season two. I also love the guy from burn notice is pretty great.
0: Oh, who's that? Um, I don't know, but people know what I'm talking about if I
1: say the burn notice guy.
0: Yeah, but it's just, yeah, I think you're right though. And it does start to lean more into the weird cause Ted Danson, his whole character thing is like, he's been tracking like alien activity.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. There's an alien plot in this series. In the season, I should say, <laughs> doesn't really get paid off or anything, but there is one.
0: Yeah. Oh, doesn't get paid off. <laughs> I don't know if you're being serious or not, because my goodness. I guess
1: it's not satisfying.
0: <laughs> I, I, I think that is the only reason the UFO subplot is the only reason season two is not like one of the best seasons of TV I've ever watched because that whole thing just caught me so by surprise to the point where I'm like, I sat there after like this episode is over. I mean, we'll have to get into why the plot even goes this direction, but I just sat there afterward. Like, did that really happen? <laughs> like what?
1: Um, well, I'm just going to be Marty McFly on this one. I'm going to say, I guess you guys weren't ready for that one, but your kids are going to love it. <laughs> Cuz aliens are cool.
0: Oh man. Unreal. But yeah, so I mean the whole idea here is that or this plot is uh so Kristen Dunst's character named Peggy Blumquist uh she accidentally has a hit and run with a child of um a like the mob family in the area played by uh Kieran Culkin <laughs> yeah another another great name that just got brought in
1: yeah it's like this old school german family gang or you know mafia type in the midwest that uh the youngest son gets accidentally killed in a situation where he kills a court like a uh, judge mm-hmm. and uh, the person who hits that hits the youngest son is Kirsten Dunst, and they kind of go into a spin of uh They try to cover it up, and then the gangster family goes after them. It's it's good stuff.
0: Yeah, so it's the Gearhart family. Gearhart, yeah, Gearhart family, which is a very, <laughs> yeah, a very like Midwest sounding family name, and. The matriarch of the family, who's now like in charge of it, is gene Smart, who also is excellent. Speaking of Watchmen from 2019, she's also in that. But oh, she- Watchmen—that's a great
1: show. I'd love to throw that on. Where can I watch that?
0: Oh, I—I oh, mm, I don't know. I don't. Uh, I would have said HBO, but it's not HBO anymore.
1: Is it? Is is it? It's not on HBO, but is it on Max?
0: No, it's not, Fred. See, they Damn. gotta they gotta pull shows and put them into the vault for who knows what reasons.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, Jean's smart, everyone knows her from homeward bound. She let the ah. animals get out. <laughs> is she the mom in that movie? No, she is the person they leave the pets with who uh the pets get away from. Like she owns the farm oh. where they get dropped off that they escape from.
0: I like that. That's the, that's the poll you get for Gene smart on this. Oh, uh, Oh, for sure. <laughs> who is, I think she's another actor now that I would say another person that you can put her into anything and she'll give you 110% of whatever role you want her to play. Uh, another mm. great max, not HBO show that she's in is called hacks and, My God, just a tour de force by her in that entire thing. Yep, and this has been a
1: renaissance for her since Fargo season two, I feel. Like, she's been around, but she's popped since season two, and now with hacks, she's she's big. Big deal.
0: Yeah, I mean, just outstanding. So she's leading this family, and they're kind of trying to get some answers on who killed their son, and even though nobody likes him, like, they all knew he was a schlub, but they're still like... You can't just go and kill our family, which is kind of a running theme throughout this show that even if they are not the, the loved member of the family, the, the, the family will go to, go to war over them. And
1: <laughs> For sure.
0: Yeah. So you got Patrick Wilson, who's playing the young version of Lou Salverson, as you mentioned in this, just a great, great role for him. And Ted Danson is the sheriff of Rock County and he's his father-in-law so they work he works with his his father-in-law and then the Gearhearts are also at war with the Kansas City mafia who we we see again later but uh yeah so they are investigating a triple homicide or the sheriffs when they get connected between the Gearhearts and the Kansas City mafia so it's a uh, a lot of different wheels moving Oh, man. I was trying to remember. The guy who plays Mike Milligan. Uh, Kansas
1: named- City Mafia headed up by Brad Garrett. <laughs> That's right. Everybody loves Raymond. <laughs>
0: <laughs> this isn't the guy from uh, Burn Notice, is it? Bokeem Woodbine? The guy who plays Mike Milligan? I I refer to him as character actor Dave Chappelle. <laughs> He does have some Dave Chappelle energy to him for sure.
1: I love Bokeem Woodbine. He is, and this is another, like, he, him and uh, Zon or uh, Zane, they both just like came out of here popping. I mean, Bokeem Woodbine has been around for a while, but they are both like magnetic in season two of Fargo.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, well, the character was so good, they basically built season four off of like his sub story, right? Like, yeah i mean he's been in a lot of stuff over the years but it's just a it's such an interesting power struggle and i love that character of mike milligan's story because he's doing like all this like he's like i'm gonna go take care of business up in south dakota i'm gonna bring bring home you know this all this territory and this power for you all just to get a desk job (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they're like look at this office you can have you now you can work at corporate and it's like oh this this is all i get i'm not gonna be a mob boss i'm gonna be a desk jockey <laughs> for sure he, he he's excellent so good but it's a it's a fascinating season because yeah i think we keep going back and forth in this war we keep following Jesse Plemons and Kirsten Dunn says they're trying to kind of get away from this after you know they finally get outed and people figure out that they're involved and that they had something to do with Kieran Culkin's death and you know and Sam McLaren is just playing this absolute just terrifying killer again that that character archetype of like that that cold calculating killer who's not afraid to to pull the trigger when he absolutely needs to, like he's the first person to step in and being like, "Okay, you need a job done. I'm going to do it."
1: And he's very uh, Anton Shagor from uh, No Country for Old Men.
0: Yes, yes. Oh, Bardem would absolutely slay in this series. <laughs> like he would fit it because he's—I mean—he's such a Cohen actor.
1: Oh, definitely.
0: Yeah, but we eventually kind of. See all the plots meld together in this showdown, where they have found the Blumquist's and they are chasing them down through a parking lot, and there's this showdown with the Kansas City Mafia and the Gearhearts, and all of a sudden a UFO appears overhead and distracts everyone when it seems like all our some of our characters that we've been following are about to all die. <laughs> totally normal, tor- totally good. Uh oh and it just happens it's like a it's like a solid 30 seconds this light comes from overhead everybody looks up ufo moves on fucking guy the only competent son in the Gearhart family dies i'm trying to remember who who plays him. he plays a great part though um this might be your burn notice dude is it angus sampson who plays bear no that's
1: the no it's the other
0: brother Jeffrey Donovan?
1: That's him, yeah.
0: Okay. Who played Dodd Gearhart? Yeah. Uh, Dodd. It's, it's all coming back now. It's coming back. Oh man, you had Kristen Miladi. I forgot she was uh like Patrick Wilson's wife.
1: Yep, it's a stack season. You have um Bruce Campbell as Reagan.
0: <laughs> Bruce Campbell is in this, you're right. Oh my god.
1: Yeah, he plays. He plays Ronald Reagan I'm going to the bathroom at one point.
0: And I almost forgot that the patriarch, the the late patriarch of the Gearhart family, Otto Gearhart, played by Michael Hogan, once again, our our boy from Battlestar Galactica, who took that tumble down the stairs and had the Kickstarter going on. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Remember that was that the guy that uh, that Jasmine brought up on that episode. <laughs> uh huh. Again, you just got people coming in from left and right putting in work, but that guy, another guy who puts in a hundred and ten percent every time he's on screen, he's just all in.
1: So, other than the aliens, what are your overall thoughts of season two?
0: I mean, fantastic. I think the the my best review that I ever read of this is like it's almost unfair to put in your last episode, the song war pigs and not expect everybody watching it to get absolutely amped up. Cause I think that there's this sequence right at the beginning of the last episode where it's just Zan McLaren and like looking into the camera and it keeps cutting between him and like Jesse Plemons and Kristen Dunst, like on the run. And they're just like, Beat to shit, like they're like on their last legs. They can't like do anything about it, and he just looks like this angry, just like almost like mutated killer. And it's just the culmination. I'm like, this is what the season is. It's just thrills, it's suspense, it's like twists and turns that you can't expect. Like every time you think somebody's about to get killed, you think Jesse Plemons is about to get shot. Or that they're about to find Kirsten Dunst, like all of a sudden something happens and they're able to get away at the last minute and somebody else ends up dead and they're like, what is happening? Who are these people? How do they keep getting away with this? It's, I think maybe for me, this would be probably my favorite season.
1: Yep, that's the same. I uh, this is the one I revisited. I didn't really need to revisit any of these except maybe four, just because I didn't finish it. But I revisited season two, and
0: it's it's still good. It's it's just suspenseful storytelling masterclass. Like if you could get past some of the weird UFO parts, the rest of it is just excellent. Every, every actor is super well cast. Every person involved with this is just on their a game. And like, it's, it's Jesse Plemons and Kirsten Dunst. I think before they were kind of hitting like the Plemons sort of like coming out party. And then Kirsten Dunst kind of with her Renaissance again, or it just felt like they captured them at the right time. And then they just kind of relaunched each of them into this almost like stardom that they're at now.
1: Definitely.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think this was probably what around the same time or right before Game Night came out, Jesse Plemons is just
1: <laughs> <laughs> How can that be profitable for Free to <laughs>
0: <laughs> That line kills me. Ugh. That underrated movie, but I know we're not here to talk about that.
1: Yeah, Game Night's great. I watched uh Dungeons and Dragons the other day.
0: Yeah. Same, you know, same guys. It's I can't wait for their next movie. They're now on that list of like, I want to see what they do next. Definitely. Yeah. I don't know. Anything else you want to share about season two? I think it, the, the whole gang war kind of dynamic is something that I think they really liked doing and they really tried to bring back in season four to a less successful extent.
1: Yes, but I'm very, I love, like, period piece cold mafia stuff. I think that is fascinating, like, mafia working out in, like, the Midwest, Kansas City. Like, I find that all fascinating. That's just some of the juice of the show, even though it doesn't really pay off in season four. I think it does a lot of good stuff in season two that's interesting.
0: Yeah. It's kind of like an aw godfather in a way. (laughs) <laughs> yeah because i think we're we're almost underselling just how how suspenseful it is because i think something that even season five is doing right now and i don't know how many people have actually seen season five if they're listening to this but what season two is doing really well is it's like or what it does really well is it kind of starts as like a series of like accidents that sort of set off the the dominoes to create this full-out gang war because up till then it's just a lot of like Sneering and stare downs and like talking the talk, but not really walking the walk. Until blood starts getting shed here by accident because of these this couple that really just doesn't have any skin in the game. And it just suddenly it's like, yeah, the cops are questioning people. They see the gang, see them coming around. They're like, well, okay, so now we're gonna have to lay it down here. We're gonna actually have to go to go to war here. And it's just i mean the the last two episodes are so well executed but it is madness
1: (laughs) and that's definitely how i feel fargo can go when it comes each of their seasons is it's very tight very suspenseful and then it does kind of like fall out of their hands at the end but i still love it no matter what
0: yeah well it's it is it's just this tension rope that's being pulled the whole time is you're kind of watching the dominoes go knocked over one at a time until all of a sudden the whole thing just goes down <laughs> and something. So they take a different approach though, in season three. Um, so following season two to a lot of, again, great critical acclaim, we see the season three get picked up. Uh, this time it takes place in 2010, we have a Saint Cloud, Minnesota probation officer named Ray Stussy or Stussy, right?
1: Stussy, something like that. Mm-hmm.
0: And that's played by Ewan McGregor. And he has his parolee girlfriend Nikki Swango. Swango. <laughs> it's been a while since I've seen this. I'm trying to remember how the names are pronounced. Uh, it was played by Mary Elizabeth Winstead. I think also where they met. Am I right? Yeah fargo that's where you hit it off yeah no kidding they're like every male and female leader <laughs> just like okay well let to see what this person's about so they're kind of like looking to to get ahead in life and ray believes that the the best way to to get this better wealthier life is to steal back this valuable vintage stamp from his successful twin brother named Emmett, who is also played by Ewan McGregor, who is the self-proclaimed parking lot king of Minnesota.
1: <laughs> I also love this about Fargo is like rich Midwest. Oh, we're yeah. like just filthy rich, but I live in Minnesota.
0: <laughs> like I don't know. There's something funny about that to me. I don't know why. Well, because it's like it's never the lavish life you expect. You almost like like their idea of of like riches and, you know, all that, or it's way different than like an LA person's idea of rich, right? Like they they want a beachfront property with like really nice, like jacuzzi or something like that. But yeah, like Emmett Stussy is like, oh yeah, I really like my fine art and uh, a big old Christmas tree or something like that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, but yeah, so Emmett though is kind of being. So this is the rich brother is. Being uh, encountered by this guy who's a loan shark uh, representing an organization he borrowed money from that's kind of coming to collect and kind of, you know, coming to get to what's his. Played by David Thulis and maybe the most disgusting character. <laughs> ever this is the seen. most
1: disgusting season of Fargo. There is a lot of disgusting stuff in it.
0: Yeah. Oh, it's, and it's just this awful, awful character who has sort of like this this really like, I don't know, this like cloying theme song that comes along with him. And he's always talking like that. He's doing the really thick British accent. Like, just a total rap, Scallion.
1: He's very similar to his character in Dragon Heart. That's what I always think. He's just very much an asshole like that. Oh, I've never seen Dragonheart. You got you to see Dragonheart. The dragon gives the guy a heart. <laughs> boy. you never seen Dragonheart? I don't think I have. <sighs> David Thuis is like a shitty little like rich boy king who like gets injured in battle, and they go to a dragon who's Sean Connery, and he was like, this kid's dying. He was like, I'll give him half my heart as long as he's a good king. And he gives him half his heart. He's a bad king. He's bad. But, you know, and then Dennis Quaid is a knight in it. You got to see, Drew. We should do a whole episode on Dragonheart.
0: <laughs> or we'll save it for the Dennis Quaid uh <laughs> The Dennis Quaid episode. That could be a pretty decent episode. I mean, at this point, Jack Quaid is building himself quite the catalog.
1: Yeah, we'll get him. Maybe we'll get his brother to come on. <laughs> but. Season three is one. There's a lot of great stuff in it, but it definitely is like they're getting a little wilder. Carrie Coon is really good in it, but they do some wild stuff in season
0: three. They do. So the whole spiel is that so Ray, who's the less successful twin brother, is kind of involved in trying to get this get ahead, get wealthy. And it ends up in the death of, well, him. (laughs) <laughs> pretty early on, as he's like arguing with his brother over this, but it also ends up in the accidental death in the stepfather of the police chief, who is Gloria Burgle, as you mentioned, played by carrie Coon. So now she's kind of like investigating <laughs> Ray, and then by by uh association, his girlfriend Nikki. Because I think doesn't Nikki end up like accidentally killing the the stepdad? Isn't that what happens? I think that's what it is. I know Scoot McNary is involved. That's right. I think yeah, somehow I remember it's like an accident though. Like they didn't mean to kill him. Like I think they were like trying to like rob him or something like that. And it just turned yeah, out
1: like Scoot McNary is like a parolee of uh, Ewan McGregor's and they're kind of using him to do something and that goes wrong and that guy ends up dead.
0: Yeah. And so it's just like everybody kind of gets involved with each other here. Again, it's just sort of like the pieces moving closer together. And yeah, Ray ends up dead. And so Nikki's like out to basically get revenge on <laughs> these guys. And don't, And then we end up meeting one of the hired guns again from season one, right? Doesn't she like meet him on the prison bus when she gets caught?
1: Yeah, isn't it like the, the deaf... Guy or is it Evan Goldberg? We we didn't even talk about Evan Goldberg and the death guy. Yeah, Adam Goldberg. Adam Goldberg. Yes. Evan Goldberg's the guy who writes with Seth Rogen.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, no, in season one we did, we kind of, because, I mean, again, how, how deep is the the cast and how deep are the characters that there's these two guys that are hired to kind of intimidate Martin Freeman's character in season one. One of them ends up dead and he has a brother who's yeah deaf and we find that he's been arrested years later and he runs into Mary Elizabeth Winstead's character in season 3 <laughs> and-, and and isn't he somehow like involved with Zon or Zane from season 2 um i think what we learn is that they might be like family somehow But Mm -hmm. I can't remember what the exact connection is. Again, it's been a long time since I've seen. Folks, if you haven't seen Fargo the series, I think this has got to be
1: bringing you in. Like, it's got all these, like, layers and connections. (laughs) But it's not annoying with it.
0: No, I think what's hard to recount some of these is that they do a good job of kind of putting these subtle connections in place where you recognize a name or you recognize a location. And you're like, oh, this is where so-and-so committed that murder. Or this is where so-and-so fell through the ice. Like, we're right back at that scene. And, oh, here's that character from, you know, two seasons ago. And now I'm remembering that guy was a really efficient killer. And now he's helping her out. Which is exactly what happens is that, you know, we see, you know, Nikki Pracely come back to try and take revenge and ruin you know Ray's brother Emmett kind of blaming him for his death by just destroying his his uh his life but really it's just sort of Emmett that is getting his life destroyed by this loan shark he's just like in too deep all around I don't know what did you think overall of it Overall, like I said, it's hard because I find the Fargo
1: series very rewatchable, especially around especially around the wintertime. I love to throw it on like in the background. I like it. Season three, I won't throw on as much because like there's a lot of like gross out stuff in it. That's my only thing about it. Um, there is a great episode where they use the I don't know if you call it a score, if it's like a piece of music, but the Peter and the Wolf there's like the orchestral story where it uses all the different instruments to tell the story of Peter and the wolf. They do an episode set to that like orchestral score and it's fascinating, but they also have a really weird animated sci-fi episode. This is where they're really kind of stretching and it doesn't completely work. And I think if you look at season four, that's when they kind of go off, off boat a little bit.
0: Yeah, for sure. Cause I think, this had an interesting story in place, but it definitely felt like some of the, the pieces didn't pull together. And I kind of felt like they didn't get to maximize uh, Carrie Coon, who, I mean, is a fantastic actress, but it felt like not a really juicy role for her. Like she was just sort of there to move the, the story along and start to put the pieces together Whereas we're just sort of watching everybody else run rampant, and we didn't even talk about Michael Stuhlbarg, who is another guy. Just oh, I love some. I love Stuhlbarg, man, so good. But yeah, he ends up like what, like partially paralyzed because uh, David Thewlis's character essentially is like, it like knocks him down and is like just make him drink yeah. pee. Yeah. Oh, it's it is a gross season here. <laughs> Maybe that's kind of why I've like partially blocked it from my memory.
1: (laughs) But yeah, overall, I think it's interesting. They tried stuff. It's pretty cool that uh, you and McGregor played twins, twins, twins.
0: (laughs) But yeah, at the end of the day, it's, it's not the most, it's not the cleanest season. I think it's got some good, good parts. Again, I think even even McGregor doing two roles felt a little, I don't know if he was stretched too far thin, or just maybe not able to put his all into one character, and so he kind of felt a little underwhelming in sometimes.
1: I don't know. I don't mind. I think he, he. I don't know. He's kind of the type of guy. I feel like he tries his best, and, and maybe they just didn't have the time for him to do two roles. But I don't have a problem with him in it. I just. I just think it's too all over the place and a little too gross. Nothing wrong with it. Just kind of just kind of gross.
0: Yeah, there was just a little, I don't know, a little too much going on, which became an even bigger problem in season four. (laughs) So uh, I think, you know, a lot of goodwill by FX after this season concluded where, you know, a lot of people still like the season a lot. And I think there is a lot to like about it, but Uh, At the same end, I think a lot of people expected it was, you know, a little bit of a step back from the previous two kind of like, okay, maybe not their finest, but we'll see what's going to happen for season four. And yeah, season four is just a little bit of a mess. (laughs)
1: I'll just, I'll just preface and say I don't remember anything from season four. I was very excited for it because Chris Rock was going to be headlining it. And anytime Chris Rock is doing like a performance, I get very excited. He is not very good, if I recall from watching this show. And I was also excited for, I can't think of his name right now, but he's Paddington. He's Q. Oh, that actor. Ben Wishaw. Yeah. Ben Wishaw, who I remember is really good in what I saw of season four, but it just wasn't connecting. I don't know if you remember season four, if you finished season four. I'd love to hear your your recounting of it.
0: So I did finish season four. This was the first one I watched live. The, re- the other three were pretty much, I think, kind of an early pandemic, maybe even before it started watch because I remember we were caught up by the time season four dropped at the like September, 2020, because it was, uh, the season was announced in August, 2018. And I think that was about the time that I was trying to start thinking about it. Cause I'm like, well, this show has been going on because I had the same thoughts you did at first, Fred. I was like a Fargo TV show. How good this could this be? But then I kept hearing it was really good. And finally I was like, all right, let's give it a watch. So, yeah, it was in 2018 that fourth season was renewed and ultimately went into production in 2019. Some delays due to the pandemic. So production was suspended for at least two weeks, but then ultimately they were able to finish it up. And, yeah, so it went from an original premiere date of April 19th all the way back to September of 2020. I guess here's my thing is like i think they had some interesting ideas on the plate i again the whole thing's kind of borrowed out of the concept of season two of like well we had this kansas city mafia that was a really interesting organization we had some really rich and like fulfilling characters out of there whether it was you know um You know we had Mike Milligan and then we had I don't remember what Brad uh, Garrett Garrett I was like Brad Garrett's character (laughs) I don't even remember what his character Name was I know I was being a butt. there's just too Many there's too many characters in This season there's too many things To follow and It's like they got a lot of big Names but didn't really have as much To do with them because like Timothy Oliphant is in the season And I forgot A lot of people would have forgotten because not only does he not get enough to do, but it's even worse because they kill him early on. And you are like, he's maybe one of the few engaging characters in the season.
1: Um, I don't think anyone has more has ever had more Riz than (sighs) Timothy Oliphant.
0: And they put him as a like sheriff in 1950. It's literally like the man can never not be a cop in in a show. But not a modern cop. He's always like (laughs) (laughs) pre-1970. Or if
1: it's like uh, justified, it's modern day, but he's like an old timey cop in the modern day.
0: (laughs) He's going to do by his own rules. All right. He's not going to play by modern society's expectations. Mm -hmm. So, season four takes place in 1950. It's the the Cannon Limited, which is a gang led by Loy Cannon, played by Chris Rock, who are threatening to res- usurp the Fada family, led by Justo Fada, who's played by Jason Schwartzman, as the head of like the Italian family, basically. And they are the ruling crime organization in Kansas City, so the, the Cannon family is essentially coming in to try and squeeze them out but to maintain peace between these two gangs, there's like a ritual that occurs between every gang over the years. And to maintain peace, the groups agreed on our tradition of trading their youngest sons so that they go and live in opposite households. And that way there's always kind of a uneasy alliance because they're like, well, we're never going to attack that house. Cause my, my son is over there. And we see like a history where at first it's the, like the Irish family, like runs Kansas City. And then they're kind of overtaken by like a Jewish run family, which is where Ben Washaw's character comes in because then the Jewish, like, gang essentially gets encountered by the Fada family, the Italian gang. And it's always like a more marginalized group of people keeps coming in, like, <laughs> to the city. And like, but they're a gang. So they're like, You know, it's, like, their way of, like, gaining power and kind of establishing themselves. And basically, like, that all gets jeopardized between the Jewish families and the uh, Italian families because Ben Wishá, who was a son of, like, the Jewish, like, mafia leader, basically, like, betrayed them because he felt so betrayed personally that, like, they would give him to another household. Like, he loved his family, but he was like, I can't believe my dad would do this to me. And so he becomes like a member of this Fada family, the Italian gang. And then we have Chris Rock leading the canon family who is like an all-black gang. So it's just this constant. There's a lot of like racial commentary that I think does hit. But then it just, I don't know. It's just sort of inconsistent throughout the season, I think. And then you just get these weird characters. Like Jessie Buckley's in this show as like a nurse. And her whole subplot kind of doesn't really... She's just sort of inserted into the story for no reason.
1: <laughs> she's like in there, like doing like an angel of death thing where she's like a yeah. evil nurse, like who hurts, you know, like, you know, her patients or something. Right. Yeah. Something like that.
0: And it, it feels like they devote so much time to this character and her, her story that it takes away, I think from the things they really could have done with these other two gangs. Cause you're really trying to get the, get this feel for who these gangs are. But then we have to spend so much time with like Timothy Oliphant and these other cops that are in the city. And they're trying to investigate these two gangs. Like, cause like they're FBI and it just, I don't know. It's like, there's really no outside of like, like one little girl character that we follow. There's really no good person in this, se- this season either. So it's really hard to like, mm-hmm. you know, you're just kind of watching a lot of bad people like be bad to each other. And I don't know, it's, it's just a kind of mess. Yeah.
1: And that was kind of the reception. Everyone was kind of like, yeah, people were kind of out on the Fargo TV show for a while. And there was a big gap, you know, from season four to season five, I think it left a lot of left, left a lot of people with a bad taste in their mouth, which is a bummer because it had almost the most potential out of all the seasons
0: it did i think there was a lot there that they could have done and like they had some interesting characters like don't get me wrong like there is a a guy his name is salvatore esposito who plays jason schwartzman's brother and remember everybody was like so in on this character because he had these like big crazy eyes and like he just like every action of his was like to the level like eleven. Like he's just up to eleven on everything he's doing. It was like, what is with this dude? You were kind of waiting for this character to keep coming back because he was so good. I don't know, man. There is another character who is like the second in command of Chris Rock. His name was Dr. Senator, which is like one of the greatest character names ever.
1: Dr. Senator, yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. And I'm trying to remember who the actor is. Oh, Glenn Turman. And he is just a fantastic actor. A guy I've never really like noted before but then he kept showing up and stuff like that was a that last movie with uh Chadwick Boseman in it do you remember this one Ma Rainey's Rainey's Black Bottom that's it yeah like he's in that and he's really good I was just like who is this guy where has he been he was like he's like 70 already he was
1: around that this time too
0: yeah just another like good character actor who shows up on Fargo and you're just like Who the hell? This guy's 70. I feel like I've never seen him in anything. And then like all you see them in is like stuff from now on. And like you are always paying attention when they show up because they're just such a fantastic performer. And it's just uh it's a lot of like people doing some good stuff, but there's just not a lot to it. (laughs) I don't know. That's the way I would describe it.
1: Yeah, I just wish they could have pulled off a little more season four, but there was a lot of potential, and I actually will probably revisit because I didn't finish it, but there's so much so many great actors. I'm kind of curious how did it all end.
0: Yeah. I think you will not regret watching it. I think it's still worth revisiting, but don't expect the best season you're gonna watch. <laughs> That's the only <laughs> thing. But then after the long layover, you're right, Fred. Like season five, I think kind of took a lot of people by surprise when it got announced.
1: Yeah, I thought it, uh, they weren't gonna make anymore, to be
0: honest. Uh, yeah. I think the way that four was received and I think it still got decent reviews, but I think a lot of critics were like, yeah, this one wasn't it. Like (laughs) it's just, but it was, uh, back in February, 2022 that FX did renew Fargo for fifth season, but it kind of felt like we didn't really hear anything about it up until almost like, a month or two before it was about to come out and I remember reading an article they're like Fargo's coming back uh, in like November of 2023 and I'm like really and then I started reading the cast list so they're like yeah it's got Juno Temple it's got John Hamm it's got Jennifer Jason Lee and suddenly I'm like well tell me more <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: yeah and I remember I think we talked about this uh as I think it was like the week before it aired I was like I'm excited for this and these are all names I like, but I definitely, I could feel the scale back almost Mm -hmm. of kind of like a course correction of season four. Like John Hamm's a big name, but he's a TV actor, you know, like he's done Mm -hmm. movies, but he's a TV guy. Like Jeff or Jason Lee is not a household name. I was like, kind of like this feels a little like we're getting the budget Fargo. But I got to say, going into it and watching the first episode, I was like, we're a little bit back, baby. I'm going to say a little bit back. It didn't hit like season one for me, but uh, that first episode, I was like, I'm happy.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, there is just, it's a lot of good, like like you said, TV actors, like Juno Temple coming fresh off Ted Lasso. I think if anybody watched Ted Lasso, you're going to recognize Keely right away. And then you're going to hear her talk and you're like, what the hell? <laughs> like she can do a a Fargo accent. Like what the heck? And it's just a lot of names that you're like, oh shit. It's the dude from Stranger Things. Like Joe Keery's in this too. And mm-hmm. guy from uh, Kids in the Hall. Yeah. Oh, and he plays a great part. Dave Foley, right? Yeah. Dave Foley is excellent in season five. Yeah. I think that's him, right? Or is it?
1: Yeah, Dave Foley because he's he's Flick in A Bug's Life.
0: That's right. That's right. Yeah. And, I mean, you're right, man. I think this might be probably my favorite season so far since season two. And we're only, I think we only got two episodes left at the time of our recording here. But, yeah, it's been an awesome season with just, (laughs) it feels like the Fargo that, we were talking about earlier on in this episode just we were like very excited there's a lot to it there's a lot of like I don't know like suspense and weird actors who kind of fulfill that but I think just getting John Hamm who is the constant professional I mean he's always almost all underrated just because of how excellent he is at everything he does
1: yeah, and I felt bad saying calling him a TV actor. That's not how I rate him. John Hamm could be in all the movies, believe me. Top Gun Maverick. I mean, he was great in that. But I'm just saying, like, that's where he's been successful, at least more than more often than not. But I def I do feel the restraint in this seed season. They do big stuff, and the uh, some of the most recent episodes that have aired. Really go for the fences and do some wild stuff, but I can definitely feel, and I see, say this as like a positive, like a course correction after
0: four. Oh, one hundred percent. They were like, we went way too off the the mark here, and we need to pull it back and try and get a hold of this thing again, and just let let us go. But there's this guy in this season named Sam Spruill, who plays a dude name I mean it's written I think it's like Ole Muke or something like that but it looks like old Munch <laughs> and he is just the weirdest he's like the classic like uh Peter Extormer from the original farm yes like, that's who I think of he is and just the way he talks and there's like this weird subtle like suggestion that he's like centuries old potentially like he's like immortal. <laughs> it's like and that's like the the amount of weird i want in fargo of like don't tell me if this is true like that could be his ancestor for all we know but just leaving the door open to possibility like this guy's been alive since like the middle ages
1: (laughs) so are you more okay with aliens or ancient druids or whatever
0: he is (laughs) i'm okay with subtlety
1: (laughs) (laughs) then why are you watching fargo
0: I mean look man and we didn't even talk like we haven't talked about a lot of the the beats that happen I think for multiple reasons I think there's a lot to say about this this show but like Ben shocked, gets sucked up by a tornado and that's how he dies in season four it's just like weird shit like that that I'm like it's somewhat more believable than guy got distracted by a UFO overhead and then got shot and killed. <laughs> <laughs> just don't don't confirm to me the thing is what I'm seeing, and maybe leave the door open for like, is this just the way somebody perceived it to happen, or is this actually happening? Because I think once you lean into the fact that like this is the, this really weird shit is happening, like I don't know, it takes me out of it just a, a smidge. Are you you're okay though, with all the weird? Yes, because I kind of feel
1: like. They're pulling from the larger scope of Coen Brothers movies when they get weirder, they're not necessarily pulling from Fargo. And if I give it that sort of lens, like I feel sort of the big swings remind me a lot of the Stuhlbarg movie, the Coen Brothers, A Serious Man how that kind of gets very heightened towards the end. Like, that's a movie that I think about a lot when I watch the Fargo series. And, uh, I mean, I also think about um, Oh Brother, We're Out Thou. Not just the tone, but, like, the heightenedness of it. So when it goes big, it doesn't bother me because I know what world I'm in. Mm-hmm. But I, I get it.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, I guess I'll say this. I don't mind when it leans into some of the really yeah, big swings. Like here's a guy who might be an old Druid or something like that. Here is a man who's really obsessed with UFO encounters that he's seen. I think it's just like short of an alien walking up and like shooting somebody. And that's how the, a character's journey ends. It's like, you know, I can, I can extend my, my disbelief only so far, I feel like with some stuff. And I think even in old oh brother, where art thou? Like certainly what's happening in that movie doesn't feel 100% like, like grounded, but at the same end, I think it's not so unbelievable. You can't believe that these guys would be in these scenarios, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah, there's definitely, I think, they're, they don't have ones that are full out in every season of Fargo, but they do like the deus machina event, mm-hmm. which like some un, like, unexplained event that like adjusts the plot of the story. That to me, I feel like a Fargo season will get a couple of those. Now, if I watch a season where they're throwing those out left and right, I'm going to lose the thread a little bit. But like I said, I'm comfortable in the world knowing that things might get a little surreal.
0: Sure. I think that's totally fair to say, too. But, yeah, I think we are excited to finish up season five of Fargo. And I I mean, we'll, we'll maybe just tease it a little bit here, Fred, that maybe we'll end up talking about the end of season five in uh, a later episode. We might be revisiting some some TV from the year twenty twenty three.
1: Yeah, I think there's a chance it might end up on a list for me.
0: Yeah, we uh, we'll tell you guys to stay tuned for some more announcements, maybe some some new bonus content coming up in the very near future. But before we get to that, Fred, I think perhaps unless you have more to share and thoughts on season five, which I kind of like to to save at least a little bit, that maybe we. They're going to coulda, woulda, shoulda.
1: I'm ready for coulda, woulda, shoulda because I am just going to keep it simple. I'm going to say one thing, and that's it. Coulda, woulda, shoulda. Give me season six of Fargo, Milwaukee. Give me... William DeFoe in there, give me Mark Ruffalo. After that, you can go wild, but give me those two guys in it and I want my I want my Midwest story told in Fargo. Fargo, <laughs> Milwaukee. Which sounds dumb, but that's what they're doing, right? Like it's Fargo Kansas City. You know, they don't call it that, but
0: Yeah. It's not Fargo every time. Well, I think cuz season 5 went back to Fargo proper like that area so we're we're back in South Dakota in that season and we because we see John Hamm is like a a sheriff and he's got like a lot of like power like he's got like a constitutionally elected sheriff and he's like basically got kind of like a militia built up on a farm he wasn't at
1: January 6th but he had some eyes in the field at least
0: yeah he certainly did he had operatives on site (laughs) yeah he's definitely one of those guys but like i think what what i liked about this season is that they did kind of come back into that era even if they're sort of not around that same spot like you gotta just be in the proper midwest so i could get along i could get down with a milwaukee or not even milwaukee
1: scratch that I'm going to say I want it to be like Fargo meets Uncut Gems at Lambeau Field. Like it has to be some sort of heisty crime Lambeau Field thing.
0: (laughs) Trying to steal a Lombardi trophy from the the Packers uh, Hall of Fame.
1: (laughs) Yeah, because they haven't done that. Give me like the Logan Lucky Fargo season, but it's in Milwaukee at Lambeau Field or, you know, Wisconsin at Lambeau Field.
0: Yeah, Green Bay. Yeah, that'd be great. I could see it. I could get down with that. Yeah, because... Oh, man. So, I definitely like that idea. I also kind of love the idea of trying to... I don't know, go back in time again a little bit, but maybe not so far. Like, so I know, I think the Fargo movie takes place in 87, so we haven't quite split the difference. So it's like, get me a late 90s takes place like maybe right back in like the twin cities again or maybe that greater area give me some stuff where people are trying to get away to fargo again i kind of want to revisit that territory but like see maybe like who else is in there and who's reading these headlines of all this crazy shit that's been going on and getting ideas of like because i I think one of the best parts of season five and i know we didn't really talk about the plot because like the the whole story of season five just to give a a quick overview and again we'll talk about it another uh, another time soon but is that dorothy who is played by gino temple gets basically like discovered through like this opening episode by her ex-husband is played by john ham and he sends people to try and kidnap her to bring her back home because she's a runaway because he was abusive when they were together and so she's with a whole new guy and And so it kind of starts to feel like the plot of Fargo again, because her mother-in-law played by Jenner, Jason Lee suspects that she's kidnapping herself in order to extort money from her husband. Who's very much in like that John Carroll Lynch, like all real, like, you know, simple guy there to support, loves his wife, loves his family. But there's something familiar and simple. And I think that's almost what you meant by restraint, right? Like it it felt a little safe. Yeah. And what I kind of want to see is them go back to that area, like kind of where like the movie takes place, but like, let's get, you know, kind of wild again. Let's find something like where you don't have cell phones involved. Like you can kind of be off the grid a little bit, (laughs) you know, it's like, we're going to run a whole thing where we're going to try and like, you know, like kidnap a CEO and actually like extort the money, like the person you would expect them to try and like kidnap and extort money from or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know,
1: I, I would love to be in like your nineties, like version of this. Like I'd be like a strip club owner in St. Paul or something <laughs>
0: <laughs> gets in too deep
1: with it. <laughs>
0: yeah. Like, it's just, you know, it's like, I just love watching desperate people trying to do stupid shit. And I would love them to kind of get back to somebody who thinks he's too smart for his own good. And we kind of got that a little bit with Ian McGregor's character of the, the one or less fortunate brother in season three. And I liked that where he's like, we're going to get rich. We're going to come up with this scheme. We're going to get the stamp back and we're going to sell that for a boatload of money. And we're going to make it kind of knowing all along it's it's sort of a doomed expedition. But yeah, I don't know. I kind of I love to to get back there and try something. I guess that is what season 3 was trying to do, but it got way too weird. <laughs> it got way too way too much on this plate.
1: Although I will say this since uh we're not doing a power ranking of our favorite seasons, I will say I think I take the high I think so far overall I like season 5 better than 3, but I think I like the highs of season 3 better than season 5.
0: Oh, interesting. All right. I can give you that. I'll think I think I would say season five so far has been a little more of a complete product. Definitely. For me. But yeah, I could definitely get on board with you saying season three had some really good highs and especially to that thing. Once uh Barry Elizabeth Winstead broke out of the the prison bus with uh uh the dude from season one, that seems like things really elevated quick and it went it went into full Fargo mode. Yeah, definitely But, um, yeah, any other coulda, woulda, shouldas you would share?
1: No, that's just what I want I want a heisty, Lombardi,
0: Milwaukee story Yeah, I like it Yeah, and I want, I want my 90s St. Paul Maybe you could get like Randy Moss or something from the Vikings You can get your football tie in Maybe they're trying to kidnap the owner of the Minnesota Vikings in the late 90s I could see that <laughs>
1: I know nothing of sports, but I find it fascinating when it's injected, like, in Uncut Gems, where I know people who know sports are watching the end of Uncut Gems, like, that was a real game, you know? Like, I like <laughs> I like that people have that. And I I think that would be a cool, like, a sports thriller
0: season of Fargo. Yeah. This is how I win.
1: <laughs> <laughs> this is how I win, you know?
0: Yeah, this is how if I win. If you don't yeah. mind. If you don't mind there. Uh, Fred, I got one thing left though to say for this whole thing and that is you betcha uh no uh, i think fargo as a total is it's pretty fantastic i think from the movie on down you're really not going to find a low beat and even season four which obviously we we dogged a little bit it's if you're okay with mid, that's probably about the level that it presents. Everything is pretty high quality, and that's a high bar.
1: Yeah, I probably didn't finish Season 4 because it was the pandemic.
0: Yeah. Kind of not the vibe you wanted at that time, even with sort of the the cold vibes, right? hmm <laughs> So I think that gets us to our power rankings then. And Fred, I think I have one of our... F- My favorite prompts that I've wanted to give us here. Because we could have gone for the best characters. We could have gone for the best seasons, the best episodes, the best moments. But I want you to rank your top three accents. Well, I gave this a
1: lot of thought because... I wasn't going to look at all the different accents and be like, who's really given Midwest in this? Because that's not the assignment when giving the best Midwest accent on Fargo. You have to give a movie star Midwest accent. And that's why. So my number three, I'm going to give it to Juno Temple. I don't think that's a good Midwest accent, but that's the most movie star Midwest accent I've seen. I almost wanted to just give her number one, number two. If we're gonna get into it, I'm gonna say Patrick Wilson, just because I don't know if that accent is good, but if you look at that face, make that noise, it makes sense to me. (laughs) Um, number one, I'll give to Alison Tolman because she's probably doing it the most down the middle and like the most like. Correct. I don't know. It just seems like an actual person. She's doing like a real Midwesterner.
0: Yeah, so we got Dot, and then we've got uh, Lou Salverson, and then his daughter, Molly. Yeah, Alison Tolman was really good in in season one. She really did do a, a very genuine uh, Midwest accent. Something about the English or people from the UK and their ability to do midwest accents i don't know if it's just something that is familiar with like the, the twang i don't know but they, they do it very well because i think i'm actually gonna go a little off the cuff with the first one and say kirsten dunst i thought did a, a good really, one. really good midwest accent season two her her accent is just so gosh darn honest, and she just she just doesn't understand why people don't don't believe her when she tells them that you know Look, Kiki's got the juice I've been saying it for
1: years Kiki's got the juice
0: <laughs> I love it, but yeah, so Peggy Blumquist from season two played by Kirsten dunce is definitely my my three on the list my number two I'm definitely gonna have to go oh man. I was kind of teether-tottering here too between a couple people because there's been some really good ones in this recent season. I gotta stick to my guns, right? Yeah, you gotta stick to your guns, okay? But I if got- you don't, that's fine as well. I don't I, I, I don't I know it. Hey, can hey, I hey just
1: don't work yourself up, you know? You're gonna get yourself in a spin. Can I can I cheat and pick William H. Macy?
0: <laughs> I guess he'd be my honorable mention. I would have picked. I would have picked Francis McDormand. Then. <laughs> I think his is just. He reminds me of a lot of guys I've met in my life. yeah, y- you know that. Just uh, it just doesn't make sense. They just gotta give him the money. <laughs> y-
1: y- you gotta get the true coat.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the true coat. <laughs> no, I. I'll tell you the the person this season. I'm going to give a more recent one. Um, I think her name is pronounced Rita Morjani. And I'm like, my God, I have met women who sound exactly like the accent that she's doing. She plays um, one of the, one of the cops in season five. Uh,
1: With the, the golfer husband.
0: Yeah. The piece of shit golfer husband.
1: I mean, that guy's the worst.
0: Yeah, who's played by uh, another alum from White Lotus. That's He's a, like a Lucas kid, Gage. kid actor, right? Yeah, Lucas Gage, I think is his name. But yeah, Rita Morjani, who plays uh, Olmstead is the name of the the officer. But holy cow, <laughs> it is like, I think she's doing the best work. I, as much as I thought Juno Temple is bringing it, I thought she's she's crushed the the fargo accent for me june <laughs> you
1: know, temple's in the uh she puts the mustard on which i'm here for
0: yeah it's definitely there but for number one fred i am gonna pick a I man i'm not gonna pick francis mcdormand or william h macy they're they're the honorable mentions martin freeman's gonna get a number one for me because i don't think the first season works as well if you don't believe him to be the the actual like Guy, Midwest guy, just well, jeez, I don't know what you're talking about there. <laughs> I I was here the whole time. I got my mm-hmm. alibi.
1: <laughs> well, I think his works so well because it's a good accent, accent, and also his characters that he has played in England are midwesterny. Like a lot of the times, a lot of the times he can be like the ass asshole. Like when he was on the Office. But he is kind of like the all Shucksy guy in England, you know, in English movies. Yeah.
0: Like the country English guy, right? Yes. Yeah. And it just, I don't know. I think him selling that character so well, his dynamic with Billy Bob in the first season really sold the whole thing. Like, I think it it, it just clinched it. And I don't know him being able to just do that accent. it, It was great. So I had to pick one, one kind of deep cut. And I think Olmstead in this season, she's just, especially when she's just telling off her husband, like in one of those reason episodes, it's so good (laughs) (laughs) for sure. But yeah, those are, those are my three, Fred. Those are good choices. Those are good choices. So I think that does get us to the end of this episode. Then Fargo, but as we mentioned So we're, we're going to be talking about doing some more bonus content for you guys this year, some added content, and we'd love to give you some more final thoughts or some overall thoughts on season five once we get to the finish line with that. So maybe stay tuned for the next uh, month or so where we'll actually have something dropping for you. And that's all we'll say for now, just because we haven't quite finalized what that's going to look like, but It is coming and we do have, we do have something for you there. So you have time to catch up on Fargo if you want to see how season five plays out so that we don't spoil anything else there.
1: Yeah. I still have to find out.
0: (laughs) We can't, can't wait to see what's going to happen Fred. It's a, it's exciting, exciting finish on the, on the horizon here, but anything you would like to plug before we say goodbye?
1: No, I just appreciate everyone listening to the podcast. I appreciate Tom for making this happen every time.
0: Uh, I'll just put it to you to let everyone know what's good with the pod. Yeah, that's right. Well, you know you can find us State of the Franchise, Fred and Tom. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Threads, YouTube. You can look us up. We got our own link tree with all these resources that you can find for us. If you'd like to leave us a one-time donation, there's an option on there. We'd appreciate that. Otherwise, please rate and review us. That's the best thing you can do to get the word out about our podcast. Uh, It's a really quick activity. You can pull it up in like 15 seconds and get it done to add a rating. You could do it in Apple Podcasts app or in your Spotify or wherever you are getting this podcast currently. And stay tuned for next time where we will be having ourselves a tournament of sorts. In fact, (laughs) (laughs) it's a spicy tournament that. It is a spicy chicken sandwich. Whoosh. Blind taste test. You ready, Fred?
1: Oh, I'm so ready. I don't know why when I hear spicy chicken, I want to make the whip noise.
0: <laughs> I don't know, man. That's just because it's getting hot up in here. <laughs> I don't know what that has to do with whipping, but I just it just sounded right. Maybe it's because it's the opposite of a cool whip.
1: <laughs> yeah I guess it's the opposite I like it though I'm excited to have some Chicosama shows Oh
0: me too it's gonna to be a great time we'll uh we'll share some more details about that as it comes up but thank you all for listening again and we'll see you next time no
1: cares, bye' to Boy,
0: is charge my phone drive,
1: listen,